Thisrobot.com presents... Dear listeners, it's been quite a while since I recorded a new episode and uh, bordering on three years since uh, I started the Showers series. So here we finally have the conclusion to the Showers series nearly three years later. Sorry I've been so bad about updating the podcast. It's something that I keep meaning to get back to and keep coming up with excuses as to why it's not going to be good enough to continue doing. And I'm finally kind of getting over that and uh, trying to update more frequently, as in more than once every year or two. So give it a, you know, subscribe, give, give, give the podcast a subscribe. And, uh, it's my intent to continue finding good creepypastas to narrate for you. All that said, all excuses aside, finally, after many years, here's the showers part five. The walls were groaning around us. The noise concentrated above me. What is that? asked Karen. It sounds like something is going to ex- Ice cold water rained down onto me from above, instantly soaking me from head to toe. I gasped hard, taking in a deep breath and some of the liquid along with it, while my every muscle tensed up from the shock and the cold. I could taste rust, maybe iron. Before I could think about it for too long, my body acted without me, coughing and sputtering to rid my lungs of the tainted water. I fell once again to my knees. I knew exactly what hung a couple of feet above my head despite the complete lack of light, but I didn't care. I wanted nothing more than to be out of that place, but I didn't move from underneath the shower head. I looked up and let the freezing rain pour directly onto my face. I let it swallow me. If some cold water was all that this place held for me, then I really did have nothing much to fear. I heard a loud and deep rumble that seemed to emanate from within the walls around me, and Karen screamed. I heard water pour onto the ground from my left, then my right, then in front of me, then behind. Still, I sat there while my hands pruned, feeling my breath turn to ice as it left my lungs. Despite the extremity of the situation, I began to feel a calm from within me and slowly spread my arms out at my sides. The showers rained down around me, a symphony of crystal-clear noise from the creaking pipes to the dull splatter of each droplet of liquid as it hit the ground fell over me. Every sound was clear and full now. The sound itself was so full that it almost illuminated the room, carving out every last nook. I took it all in. I accepted it. If this place wanted me, it could have me. I had made a pilgrimage to the place that birthed the subhuman thing that I had become over the last several years. If it wanted me back, I wasn't going to put up a fight. I could hear Karen screaming my name and telling me that we needed to get the fuck out of here. But the showers grew louder, drowning her out. This was more important. My body began to numb and my skin began to sting with every drop of water that hit it. 
A sense of instability, strangely like vertigo, began to overtake me. I opened my eyes, still seeing only darkness, but feeling something else. I was Mr. Mays back in his classroom, my classroom, recounting the story of this place to my students. I was in the tunnels carrying my friend Steve, the man who first ventured to this place with me years ago, away from an approaching darkness behind us. He was bleeding from a head wound. I was reaching upwards in bed, sweating, soaking my sheets and crying. I was at a bar, telling me, my, Mr. Mays's story, struggling to find the right words while I ordered another. A dull, wet thud rang out a few feet to my left, snapping me back into my body. Karen had fallen and screamed my name, which now rang out loudly above the noise of the showers. "'Jack, what is going on?' she screamed as I heard what I could only assume to be her body drag across the muddy floor away from me. I could feel again. I was freezing cold. My injured hand could hardly move. I began to crawl forward as fast as I could manage towards the sound of her screams. They were going to find her body so that we could show them. No, I wasn't thinking straight. There wasn't going to be a body. We were going to get out of the darkness. No one was going to be lost here. I threw my body in the vague direction of her scream, reaching out as far as I could with my arm, despite being unable to feel much of it. Through some stroke of good fortune, my arm slapped across her shoulder. She immediately grabbed for me. I just closed my hand as tightly as I could around part of her denim jacket. I pulled her close and wrapped my legs tightly around her. She wrapped her arms around me and buried her head in my chest. Her screams were only slightly muffled. I let her have that. I didn't know what else to do. I just held her as tightly as I could and looked out into the darkness. I don't know what I was looking for. Her screams eventually turned into loud sobbing as the water pressure from the showerheads audibly died down, eventually stopping completely. We lay there together in the freezing mud for a few quiet minutes. Eventually, Karen's sobs quieted. We need to stand up, okay? I stuttered, frozen. I loosened the vice grip I had on her and stumbled to my feet. I didn't let myself lose contact with her for a moment. She rose to meet me and we stood as close together as possible. I certainly had no idea where we were at in any relation to anything down here, and I'm sure she didn't either. We j just gotta find a wall. I locked my arm with hers and moved to my right, which was as good a place to start as any. After about ten long shuffles, I bumped into a solid cement wall. I couldn't tell if it was covered in ice or if I was just so numb that I couldn't feel the coarse cement. It was likely a bit of both. Karen kept her head against my shoulder. I started to feel emotional, angry that she had forced me to come back to this place. The anger bled into sadness. She was going to have to carry this with her. I should have never let this happen. I should have stopped her or told her I made it all up. I was muttering to myself under my breath. The rusty pipes creaked around us. With each noise, I felt my stomach heave. Despite the numbness, my jaw throbbed in pain. I wanted to give up. I was so tired and so afraid. I wasn't strong enough, and I knew it. I wasn't the person who was going to save his girlfriend and come out of this a hero. I didn't even think we were going to get out at all. I was lost in thought and putting most of my weight against the wall as I moved us along it. I was not expecting a sharp corner. I felt my shoulder push into suddenly empty space. I managed to get one hand onto the corner of the wall as I fell, but that did nothing when my feet gave way in the mud beneath me. I fell hard my head bouncing off of the ground with a thud. 
I was instantly sure I had some broken fingers on my right hand. The angles seemed completely wrong when I rubbed them against my cheek. I screamed mostly out of frustration, which caused Karen, now alone somewhere in the darkness above me, to scream back. We were yelling at each other. After a time, we were too exhausted and out of breath to continue. I focused on my breathing and tried to bring myself back. I sat up, pushing my left hand through the icy mud to ease myself to my feet. I felt something on the ground. It was smooth, but not like cement, like metal. It was small. I gripped it in my hand as best as I could as I stood up. My legs weren't going to hold out for long. I was getting the spins, but I couldn't tell if it was from the booze, the possible concussion, or the disorienting darkness. Karen was quickly at my side. She grabbed my hands and pulled herself close to me. I'm sorry. We shouldn't have come here. I didn't believe you, she cried in quick successive breaths. I didn't care. I didn't want an apology. I wanted to scream at her and spoon her at the same time. I wanted to be fighting with her about something stupid in my apartment. The space around us filled with a mess of conflicting emotions. I felt us shrink, but was brought suddenly back when Karen broke the silence. What do you have in your hand? She asked. I had managed to hold on to the object. We both felt around it, desperately trying to get a sense for what it was. It could have been a piece of one of the shower heads for all we knew, but for a second, there was a hope that it was our solution. It was sort of cylindrical. It was mostly metal. It had a little clip on it. I rolled it around in my hands, careful not to let go. It had a button. I recognized it. It was a little flashlight, the kind hikers fastened to their backpack. Flashlight, I stuttered. My fingertips could feel the button, but couldn't quite press it hard enough. Help me push the switch. The light was hardly blinding. Both Karen and I prepared to shield our eyes, but were surprised by the weakness of the light that, outside of the main beam, did little to help our situation. Once our eyes had adjusted slightly, we could see the showerhead surrounding us in a run-down and filthy room that seemed to have no exit. It looked and smelled like a pigsty. Mud and dirt covered the floor and walls. She wrapped her arms around me. I held her head against my chest. Close your eyes. Just keep them closed, I told her. The loud wailing of a doe started on my left and quickly enveloped us like it was coming from surround sound speakers that we couldn't see. Karen covered her ears with her frozen hands. The tips of her fingers were bright red, maybe even purple. It was hard to tell from the weak light of the flashlight. But I kept the beam centered on us as much as I could. I didn't care that whatever was out there could see us. The light gave us some sort of warmth, or at the very least a sense of solidity. The noise began to die down until we were left once again in silence. We have to move back to the tunnel. You have to help me find it, I said. Karen nodded, tearing her face away from my chest. Her tears had frozen her cheek to my sweater. I could see a rim of ice around the red mark on her cheek. Back that way, I think, she said, pointing to our left. The light didn't do much to penetrate the darkness, but I trusted her. We began to shuffle through the mud, which was now the consistency of a slushy. It had seeped into my boots, but it didn't really matter. Every inch of me was covered in rusty water and frost. A little more cold couldn't hurt. Every few steps, the flashlight would dim or flicker. I could feel Karen tense up every time I was forced to give it a shake, rolling the dice on how long it would continue to help us. At one point, it went out completely. She dug her fingers into my side. I shook it. Nothing happened. I hit it with the palm of my hand several times. Nothing happened. 
please, please, I muttered under my breath as I hit the switch off and on several times in rapid succession. I couldn't let it go. It was all that we had down in those tunnels. The only thing keeping us, or maybe just me, from losing myself to the darkness. After a few more attempts, there was light, but the light was across the room. An exposed bulb, maybe 40 feet across from us, came to life. It was dim, but it was enough to light up a significant portion of the space in front of us. About 10 feet in front of the bulb, and 30 feet from us, stood the unmistakable silhouette of a buck, head bent down towards the ground. It had a large set of antlers, 12 points if I had to guess. Unable to grasp what I was seeing, I let the dead flashlight fall from my hands to the ground. The metal slapped against the cement and the small bit of glass cracked like a stick snapping under a boot in the forest. The buck tensed up and quickly rose to attention. His antlers scraped hard against the low ceiling. Some of the points were grinding against it while others cracked and broke off. The animal didn't seem to notice. At the very least, didn't seem to care. As it turned its attention towards our general direction, Karen began to tug hard on my sweater. We have to get out. Keep moving, she cried quietly. We continued down the path before us while the stag began weakly bleeding. A jolt of pain shot through my temples. The noise went on continuously, one long whine that should have been interrupted by a breath at some point, but just kept going. There was an echo. I looked behind us as we shuffled through the dark. I could see the glint of light reflecting off the eye of the beast. It was looking at me. It was tracking me. I turned my head and heard several other bulbs come to life on the far side of the room. I dared not look back. A door came into view in front of us. The paint was stripped, the wood was aged and cracked from years of weathering. Even still, I was able to get a sense of the brilliant red that used to cover the door. The knocker was missing a screw and it hung limply, off-center. The knob still had some shine to it. I could see the reflection of the lights behind us in it as we moved closer. I went to reach my hand out to grasp the knob, but Karen had already beaten me to it. She grabbed it and twisted. The internal metal mechanism shifted loudly, quieting the bleeding of the buck in the distance. The door cracked and creaked even as Karen peeled her hand from the ice-cold metal. The wood began to split. The cracks moved rapidly outwards from the knob, crawling across the wood until they reached the hinges. The door shifted and began to tip downwards. It was going to fall on us, and I didn't have the strength to stop it. It began to tilt, and I raised my hand up and shielded Karen's head while trying to move us out of the way. Fortunately, the door caught on the old screws in the middle of the lower hinges. It swung around to the left, right in front of us. I felt the rush of cold air as it brushed within an inch of my face and slammed awkwardly into the wall. It fell to the ground with a resounding crash. Through the doorway, I could make out familiar winding tunnels. The ceiling rose and sank like a roller coaster. This seemed to be a part of some twisted design. In some places, you could find no more than three feet of clearance from top to bottom, but right now, there was none. The metal sheeting that held the earth at bay had given way. This couldn't be how we had gotten in. It certainly wasn't how we were getting out. Fuck! I screamed, exhausted. My lungs burned. My mind was still on fire. Every motion I made was out of instinct because I couldn't properly process what was happening around me. Neither of us turned around. We stood in front of the doorway staring at the caved-in tunnel that had seemingly sealed our fate. Karen tried to cry, but had nothing left in her. I couldn't blame her. I grabbed her hand and held onto it tightly as more lights flickered to life behind us. Surely if we turned around we would be able to at least see another exit, but the uncertainty of what else we might see stopped us. 
I heard the hard clapping of a set of hooves on the ground somewhere behind us, then another, and another. I saw shadows of what were unmistakably humans growing smaller as they moved towards us. It was the children. I was sure of it. Even amidst the already overwhelming stench, I could smell them. Pennies and vinegar. Their robes dragged across the mud and their hair covered them, having grown down past their knees. Karen gripped my hand back. Two shadows moved along the walls, then five, ten, and I lost count. More bulbs came to life. The frost that had built up on the cement walls began to melt. Each new light source caused the shadows to fade more. There seemed to be antlers atop the heads of some of the children before they were drowned out completely by more light. The room was warming. One of them flickered just a couple of feet to my left. On my right, Karen's head turned upward. There, protruding several feet from the wall, was a shower head. It was old, rusty, and caked with frost. It looked fragile. With her free hand, she reached upwards, grabbed a hold of the pipe, and pulled downward, squeezing on my hand as if she was using me for leverage. It broke off with surprising ease. Karen pulled back into my shoulder as water sprayed into the room behind us. I could hear feet skittering through the mud and away from the jet of ice. Karen turned to face me, her eyes mostly closed, and she buried her face in my chest. She offered me the shower head, the weapon. I took the rusted metal pipe in my hand. For the first time in ages, I felt like I had a little bit of control, a choice to make. The footsteps around us grew closer, picking up speed. I fucking hate this place, I said as I swung the pipe through the air to my left. It smashed through the bulb with ease. Shattered glass rained onto the mud, as to my surprise, the other lights in the room began to extinguish. One by one, the room fell back into darkness. I didn't know if it was better to die in the light or in the dark, but at least I got to break something this way. I heard the familiar bleeding once again, alongside the dying cry of the doe. The footsteps were very close now, only feet away. I hugged Karen as tightly as I could when the last bulb went out. There we stood, in the darkness once more, surrounded only by the screams of creatures that we couldn't see. I finally turned my head to face the room, still holding on to Karen. The bulbs had died, but the filaments still had a slight glow to them. It looked like the glow that follows a camera flash. As my eyes adjusted, I could still make out the silhouettes of the children. Some of them were no more than an arm's length away. There was a familiar anger in the air around them. They hated me as much as I feared them, and maybe it was for the same reason. I couldn't even guess what was going to happen once they got a hold of us, but I hoped that I would, at the very least, not be afraid anymore. The filaments in the bulbs cooled completely and the darkness settled. I closed my eyes. I'm sorry, I spoke into the top of Karen's head. The children were right on us. I could feel a warm breath on the back of my neck. I snapped my eyes shut. Without warning, it ceased. The moisture on my neck began to cool. Feet flew through the mud away from us. They were fleeing. The bleeding and crying of the animals stopped abruptly, and in seconds the room had settled into a deathly silence. I slowly opened one eye and looked upwards. About ten feet in front of us was a ray of bright light. It was powerful, cutting through the dark and shining straight onto Karen and I. It made the frost on her bright red hair twinkle. I had no idea what I was looking at and briefly considered that I was wrong about religion before I heard the familiar growl of a car engine. My eyes adjusted and I could see that the light was coming from a hole in the ceiling where wooden boards had collapsed long ago. I couldn't fucking believe it. 
I didn't say a word as a car door slammed and Brian's voice echoed down into the hole. Hello down there, his voice rang out, filling the room. Karen looked up and broke away from me. There was a sense of relief in her eyes that her face didn't show. She moved quickly. Brian, her voice croaked. Brian, you get us out of this fucking hole right now and I will buy you your own grow house. Promise, he laughed. I assumed they could see each other now. Karen was looking up at the hole with a glare. She was bathed in light. I stood there and slowly began to move towards her. My knee popped and my joints ached. I was dizzy and confused, but this felt real. Tangible. Okay, but it's not going to be easy, yelled Brian. This rope is kind of icy, but I don't really have another option, and I'm still a little high, so it's going to have to work. How the hell did you guys get down there? Karen didn't answer as Brian dropped down an old purple climber's rope. She grabbed it and began to ascend like her life depended on it. Brian was grunting from above and jokingly commenting on how she had gained weight. She was up and out of the hole within seconds and I was left alone in the room. I looked around me. The space was smaller than it had seemed just minutes ago. The walls were cracked. The mud had mostly frozen solid. The showers were empty. You coming, Jack? asked Brian as I finally made it under the hole. I grabbed the rope tightly and looked behind me towards the decrepit red door that now lay on the ground. In the tunnel behind it, I could make out the shape of a person standing just beyond the reach of the light. I turned my back to them. With some help from Brian, I pulled myself out of the hole and onto the frozen ground outside. I breathed the fresh air into my lungs. I was free of the stench of that place, but my stomach was still in knots. The moon was reflecting off of the snow and ice, lighting up the clearing around us. I could see Karen pacing near the car. She was staying in front of the headlights. She stopped and fixed her vision on the edge of the trees. It began to sink in that she was now going to have to live with the same terror I had lived with for the rest of her life. It was always going to be my fault. I was on the verge of tears when Brian helped me to my feet. I still hadn't decompressed. My jaw was clenched shut and I was sure that I had chipped a tooth. Every part of me was numb. My clothes were frozen to my skin. Karen began to scream. It's right there! It's right there! She yelled and pointed towards the trees as Brian dropped me and ran to her. I slumped down and stared at the ground. There was nothing to be done, and if there was, I didn't know what it was. I was as much of a mess as she was. Her cries started to blend into the background as my mind wandered back to Mr. Mays. I wondered what he would have done in this situation, but remembered that he had been in the same kind of scenario, and his solution had been to drink himself stupid. That didn't seem like just a bad idea for the time being. I just needed a sip. I reached into my jacket pocket, pulled out the flask, opened it, and took a sniff. To my surprise, it burned my nostrils like gasoline. It made me nauseous. I closed it and looked behind me at the hole in the ground. I tossed the flask down into the dark. I didn't hear it hit bottom. Cheers. I stood up and walked towards Karen, whose cries were now more sporadic. She was jumping at her own shadow as a confused and stoned Brian tried to help her. Man, what's going on? He asked. Make sure the car is ready to go, I told him as I passed by without eye contact. Karen saw me coming and froze. I took her hands and held them in my own. Jack, how was it like that? How were they like that? Why was any of that? She rambled, unsure of what she had seen and what she wanted to ask. Eventually, she broke down. It doesn't make any fucking sense. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. She bawled, and I just held her there. It was all I could do. 
She hit me out of frustration a few times, but still I just let her go. I didn't know how to help her, but I could listen and be her punching bag. I eased her over to the car and sat her in the back seat, wrapping her in as many blankets as I could and buckling her in. As I walked around to the other side of the car, I looked back at the hole in the ground one last time. I heard voices. They were probably just in my head. Brian drove through the trees as quickly as he could. Several times he seemed to begin a question, but stopped himself. He told us how he had been in the car when he saw a light coming out of the ground, and what he thought was one of us waving him over. We didn't react. There was a weight hanging over Karen and I that he didn't want to disturb. Questions could wait. I don't even know if he ever got around to them. Karen wasn't asleep, but her eyes were closed tightly. I was buzzing as we drove away. It wasn't until we crossed the threshold of the tree line that I was able to loosen the vice grip I had held on the door handle. The electricity faded as the tops of the trees that surrounded the showers were overtaken by the stars. I felt my insides begin to relax. The dam that had been holding something inside me back finally burst and I asked Brian to pull over. He obliged almost immediately without a word. I stumbled out of the car and began throwing up on the side of the road. The only thing that poured out of me was a thick, yellowish bile that hung in the back of my throat before slowly dripping down and out of my body. This was what I deserved. I gagged and felt my eyes bulge as I purged and clawed at my stomach, sore from the continuous heaving. I clenched my fist and hit the ground, causing the wounds on my knuckles to open. I had only now taken a look at my hand. My middle and ring fingers were broken. It looked like someone had taken a bottle opener to my nail and first knuckle. I shouldn't have left them that way, but I didn't get much of a reprieve before I had to bow again. This was the tail end of an exorcism. What felt like years worth of stress, lies, and fear violently erupted from within me until my lips numbed, my stomach slowly relaxed, and my ears loudly popped, immediately relieving some of the pressure on the inside of my skull. I felt like I was floating. I was crying, and I knew why, but I couldn't quite isolate the thought. Everything was foreign. Everything in my brain was misfiring. I was rebooting. I had made it out. I sat in the dirt long enough that the vomit turned to slush on the ground in front of me. Brian stayed in the car and looked in the other direction. I think I even felt Karen's hand on my back at one point. But when I finished, she was in the car, staring anywhere else but at me. I collapsed into the vehicle, shaking and soaking wet. Brian started to drive off before I had even shut the door. I saw Karen's lip tremble several times, but she didn't say a word. I don't know how she managed that. I felt like I needed to talk about everything. I caught her looking at me only once on the drive back as we passed by the exit for Broken Bow. We forgave each other for everything that happened, though neither of us actually ever said it out loud. We didn't talk about the showers much at all. We had filled that place with what we brought there. Pain and truth about ourselves that we were using each other to hide from. The horror that we had experienced in that place was a dose of, as she had put it so many times before, perspective. It woke us up. I think we both realized, painfully sobering up over the six-hour car ride home, the two of us looking straight out the windshield without seeing that we were better off apart. Similar to the way she had moved into my place, we never really discussed her moving out. Her things just started disappearing. We repeated the old mantra about staying friends for the next week or so, but you could practically hear it echo every time. With a soft kiss on my cheek on a Thursday afternoon, she was gone. 
Karen and I couldn't work because we fit too well together. We were two uniquely fucked up individuals with a penchant for flipping on a dime. It's easy to look back and long for those nights cuddling and watching movies together on the couch. It's a lot harder to remember reality. The night that we watched Lewin Davis, and she convinced me to return to the showers, for example, was not as serene as I implied. I remember that I had gotten extremely irritated that she had picked that movie, because we had watched it the month before and felt a deep resentment towards her that almost pushed me to apathy. All this because of a fucking movie. Before that, Karen had called me a stupid fuckhead because I hadn't cleaned the cat's litter box. That was every night. A perfect couple and a perpetual potential domestic dispute rolled into one. Our solution was to rinse it all down and repeat. We were our own perfect enablers, and we were always heading towards the ending that we got. Broken Bow did nothing but illuminate what was already in front of us. I really hope she's doing better now. As for me, I couldn't continue to live how I was living after Nebraska. I was so covered in dirt and blood that I was able to have one of those hard look at yourself in the mirror moments in front of an actual mirror, and realize exactly how far I had let myself spiral down. I wasn't just drunk or high, but I was both of those things because I was broken and needed something to fill the cracks. I couldn't use that place as an excuse anymore. I couldn't keep trying to change the story. If that sounds like it came from the mouth of a quack therapist, it's because it did. I started going to therapy once every week, initially for the drinking, but eventually for everything else. I'm not a religious convert or a friend of Bill, but I respect the journey and anyone willing to take it on, no matter the method needed to make it through. I wish Mr. Mays had found a way to fight his demons before he left. I guess they're our demons, really. I'll keep them for us both. I'm always going to carry the showers with me. They are a part of who I am, but I don't have to let them kill me anymore. The most important concept that I have learned in these therapy sessions is that you can't get better if you just keep covering up symptoms while ignoring the real source of your unhappiness. Blowing your brain out every night with substances just puts off the inevitable confrontation. You have to treat it like a wart. You have to cut all the way down to the root and tear it out to get rid of it. To kill it, you have to get every last piece. That is why I came back to this forum, this account, and this story. There are so many others out there who listened to Mr. May's campfire story throughout the years and then moved on like normal people. I fixated and spread it because I just couldn't resist. I can't unwrite my original story, so my next play is to obfuscate. I fully understand that writing this defeats that purpose. Hopefully that won't matter. There is a point to this. The story is yours now. I don't want it anymore. Take the showers and mold them to your needs. Tell the story around a campfire and embellish whatever you'd like. Put yourself in the story, or a friend, or a friend of a friend, and then use it to get laid. Take your wildest theories about the place and create a story all your own. Make a movie or a book out of it. Turn it into a local urban legend in your own town. Drown my story out with uncertainty. In fact, go there. Go find them. Ask every citizen in Broken Bow, Nebraska about them until they run you out of town. Get lost on dirt roads a few miles east of the city until you stumble upon a place resembling the one I have described, and then tear it apart. Bring your friends and take pictures. Explore the tunnels, light a bonfire, get drunk, and throw a party. And then post about it on the internet. 
cover the walls in graffiti and the floors with cigarette butts, broken bottles, and condom wrappers. Tell everyone you know about it and smother it. Flood the internet with so much speculation and rampant bullshit about that place that no one will ever point back to Mr. Mays or me as the source. Drown us in the noise and let us fade away in peace. Go there yourself and burn it all. Just don't forget to tell everyone you know about how you did it afterwards. Ah, shit. I'm sorry, I let that go on for so long. This wasn't my intention. Old habits and whatnot. I've been pulling from a dusty flask of whiskey that was next to the laptop in the box. I guess it counts as aged now. I'm not really on any wagon, and after the years of bullshit I put my body through, a few more nips aren't going to hurt a thing. This is just one more for the road. I'm going to post this, log out of my account, tear up the sticky note I saved with my password written on it, shut down this laptop for what I hope to be the last time, and bury it back under all the junk in my closet alongside this flask. Tomorrow, I'm going to go into my classroom at the community college where I teach a creative writing course, and I'm going to tell my students one of the many versions of the showers that I have told over the years. It isn't Halloween, but maybe I'll dim the lights and light a candle or two for atmosphere. Mr. Mays would be proud. The story I tell them is not going to be my story anymore. No, I'll tell them the story of what happened to my best friend's brother's ex-girlfriend in some rural part of Pennsylvania a few years back. I'll swear it's the truth. I can't take back what I did when I posted this story for the world to see. This is my next best move. Take a page for my younger self and spread this story like I'm playing a massive game of telephone that I intentionally want to disrupt and distort. If I wasn't at the heart of it, this could even be fun. Maybe it still will be. I gave you a story on some dark night five years ago, and the only thing I'm asking in return is for you to take it from me. Make it into something scarier, or more violent, more cerebral, or more personal. Give it a twist ending. My hope is that one day, someone will tell me a version of my story, having claimed it as theirs with new facts and faces, and I won't even recognize it until I hear the name that now haunts others' dreams instead of my own. The Showers. You've just listened to The Showers Part 5 by Dylan Sindelar. Our intro and outro music, as always, is Coffin by Modem. And the ambient background music is Red Space by Thomas Prislak Jr. Of course, I do plan on recording more episodes, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, be it Spotify, YouTube, or wherever. We're probably there. Otherwise, you can go to creepypodsta.com or toplessrobot.com, who is hosting our podcast. Also, if you have any suggestions for stories that you would like narrated on Creepypodsta, be sure to email pasta at creepypodsta.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and sleep tight.